So uh, again, welcome to the Grove. If you're visiting here for the weekend, uh, we're so glad you're here and been a part of this so far. Um, something I, I don't normally, I don't like to do this part, uh, but uh, sometimes life happens here at the Grove and people get moved on from here, take jobs, take uh, opportunities to, to go and to, to, to be at other places. And a couple months ago, we lost a, a family that was very near to many of us, been a huge part of this place for several years. Um, we lost them to, to Raleigh. Um, um, and, and they went and moved on. And Star and TJ are back this morning uh, to be a part uh, of the service today. I wanted just to take a moment to say thank you to them. Um, huge blessing for this. Go ahead. <clears throat> If you didn't know uh, who they are um, or were, if you're, you're maybe new, um, Star, she, she ran our homeless outreach to Asheville. Every event we did that required any skill of food or, or anything, she was in charge of our kitchen. Um, TJ uh, was here all the time, uh, fixed everything, was a part of things. Um, if there was something I needed, uh, it was speed dialed to TJ. Uh, I don't have that now. I'm looking for that now, if anyone. But, uh, um, but, but they've been such a huge part of not just of that, but just friends. And um, seeing them grow up and their family grow up and be a part of this place has been great. And so it's so great to have you guys here today. And, and we miss you much. Um, you're, you're welcome to move back and to leave that place. And um, um, I got other people we can send to Raleigh uh, if you want to come back. So, um, <clears throat> so. But anyways, yeah, but I wanted to thank you guys for that. So uh, I want to say thanks. Uh, Jody hit it on a, a minute ago to Matt for filling in uh, so wonderfully last week. Um, uh, Jody mentioned it a couple weeks ago that I seem to pass off these hot topics. And Matt uh, got to talk about divorce last week. And so thank you, Matt, for uh, stepping in and leading that conversation. Um, but yes, we got to see my oldest daughter play in a national softball tournament. They took third place. Uh, and so we represented the, the, the west coast of North Carolina on the east coast of North Carolina. So it was a, it was a good time to be, to be there. Big day tomorrow, from, from what I've heard. I don't know if you've heard or not. Um, I know it's church and church and science don't mix very well. So, but some people seem to think something big is going to happen tomorrow. So I hope, I hope you guys are ready for that. Um, the jury's still out. I'm waiting to see if it's going to really happen. But uh, everyone stocked up on milk and white bread. Everyone got enough, right? right? Like if we live past Monday, my family is going to be eating cereal every day of uh, every meal of the day for about uh, two weeks. And so... But uh, we're ready. Uh, if you're visiting town, thank you for coming. I hope you feel welcome here into our community of Bryson City in, in Western North Carolina. For the rest of you that risked leaving the house this morning with the potential threat of bad traveling conditions, uh, it was so nice of the sheriff to suggest staying home um, and erring on the side of safety and caution. They issued a 5020, uh, code 5020 last week. In other words, they suggested treating this weekend like it was 50 degrees with a 20% chance of rain. Nobody wants to be out in those conditions, right? Not. If you're, if you're from here, if it rains, we don't believe the right, Okay. Seriously, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, it's been a long week uh, as a country. Uh, and I think I have something for us today, but I want to preface it, if you'd allow me. Um, if you're visiting, let me say this. Uh, and it's also a good reminder to the community here that's here every week. At some point in my message, I might say something that might offend you. Um, I might say something that might make you feel uncomfortable. I may say something that might sound political. But if you define politics as how you and I share this space, it will be political. I might say something that might make you want to get defensive. 
you may want to disagree with me this morning. And those are okay things, right? I also reserve the right to be wrong and to change my mind. I have been known, and you won't believe it, I have been known to be wrong, right? Uh, my white kids tell me, I, I don't like it. It's, I don't like it. If anyone knows me, I don't like to be wrong. But I've been told I've been wrong before. But I have said since I've started here, if something I say doesn't sit well with you, I want you to check it. I want you to pray about it, to seek scripture, to your personal experience. I want you to come to me for clarification because I may not have even said what I thought, what you thought I said, right? Or maybe I didn't even know that I said it, right? And I need to know. But I want to have an adult conversation, an adult discussion this morning. And I don't want you to get upset or mad. There was this kid named Timmy in my neighborhood when I grew up. And he had a basketball hoop and at his house. And we'd always go there to play. And it never failed. If Timmy lost a game um, or if he uh, was called on a violation of a rule or he just disagreed with something someone else did, Timmy would take his ball and go home. Don't be Timmy today, right? Don't take your ball and go home. If we disagree on something, that's okay. We can work through it. We don't have to agree on everything here. Ultimately, there might be a better playground that fits you better, but let's talk about it first. And so this is what I need every one of us to do. I want each of you to close your eyes for a second. And I want you to think of something you like about me or this place. And then I want you to think about how that would feel if that was gone. All right, good. You guys got that? Everybody like me? Anyone have trouble finding things? Think about that if I say anything. I really like Jeff because of this. All right. Sorry, I thought it was going to go over a lot better. But um, let's pick up in our story. Last week, Matt left off in Matthew chapter 19. We've been telling the story of God or retelling the story of God through the eyes of a tax collector. In Matthew 19, we're going to pick up in verse 13. Bible um, uh, underneath your uh, table, your chair, or on the screen behind me. Verse 13, I'm being reading out of the message version. Um, you may have that. 13 says, One day children were brought to Jesus in hope that he would lay hands on them and pray over them. The disciples shooed them off, but Jesus intervened. Let the children alone. Don't prevent them from coming to me. God's kingdom is made up of people like these. After laying hands on them, he left. Verse 16, Another day a man stopped Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, why do you question me about what's good? God is the one who is good. If you want to enter the life of God, then just do what he tells you. The man asked, well, what in particular? Jesus said, well, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, I've done all that. What's left? The question Jesus was asked is the same question that we still ask today. It's a question people of the Christian faith have asked their entire lives. What do we have to do to get in? What is good enough? What is the list I'm supposed to follow? What is the minimum requirements to get into heaven? That's what we want to know, right? What do I have to check off lists so that I don't have to worry about where I'm going to end up? This is a question we've all asked. And some Maybe even asking that question right now. Some of you are here this morning because you were given the answer to that question as, well, you got to go to church. And now as you look around and you notice that we're not wearing ties and there's no KJV Bibles or hymnals in the pews, you're a little suspicious that this will actually count as church, right? Some of you. But the question is, is 
Jesus, how do I get eternal life? There is this thought that at the end of our lives, there's going to be this scale of justice. That we're going to have these two wheelbarrows full of perhaps maybe even a dump truck representing some good and bad things that we've done in our lives, right? And then we're going to pour these out onto these scales. And depending on what side weighs more, we're either in or out, right? If I can get my good to just barely outweigh the bad, then I'm in, right? Well, that's what's going on here. This man has asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? What good must I do? Well, Jesus is like, well, why are you asking about how good you need to be? There's only one who is good. Just do what God tells you to do. Okay, so what does he tell us to do, Jesus? And Jesus, what what commands are the ones that we have to follow? And Jesus shoots off six real quick. He says, listen, he says, just for fun, let's see how you're doing. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your mother and father, love your neighbor yourself. And God was like, that's it? That's all I have to do? Like, I've obeyed all those commands. Piece of cake, I'm in, right? And Jesus looks at this dude and he's like, Come on, man, right? You've never told a lie before. You've never disobeyed your parents once. Has anyone in this room never told a lie before? Anyone? One of you. All right, just did. Congratulations. All right. (laughs) Anyone here never disobeyed their parents? All right. This guy was standing in front of the son of God, the God of the universe, and says, and he has like the guts to say, well, I've never broken one of those commandments. I guess I'm good enough. What else do I need to do, Jesus? And Jesus says, well, well, why stop it being good enough, right? Why not? How about being perfect? Because that's what it's going to take, right? To be perfect. If, if you want to know for sure that you're in, if you want to erase all doubt, there's just one thing left you have to do. In verse 21, it says, if you want to give it all you've got. In other translations, if you want to be perfect, Jesus replied, go sell your possessions. Give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then be in heaven. Then come and follow me. Verse 22, that was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, uh, saddened, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and he couldn't bear to let it go. As he watched him go, Jesus told his disciples, do you have any idea how difficult it is for the rich to enter God's kingdom? Let me tell you, it's easier to gallop a camel through the needle's eye than for the rich to enter God's kingdom. The disciples were staggered. Then who has any chance at all? And Jesus looked hard at them and said, no chance at all if you think you can pull it off yourself. Every chance in the world if you trust God to do it, though. And Peter chimed in, we've left everything and followed you. What do we we get out of it? Jesus replied, yes, you have followed me in the recreation of the world. When the Son of Man will rule gloriously, you who have followed me will also rule. Starting with the 12 tribes of Israel... And not only you, but anyone who sacrifices home, family, friends, whatever, because of me, will get it all back a hundred times over, not to mention the considerable bonus of eternal life. This is the great reversal. Many of the first ending up last, in the last first. And this is what I want to focus on today. The first must be last, and the last will be first. When I think of last place, I think of like, like the Cubs and the, the the Chicago Bears, right? Like the Browns. I feel. I think of Robbinsville and Cherokee. Maroon Strong. 
Just kidding. I think of SEC and their academics. How many of you have ever been picked last for a team? Like, I don't know if it's stereotyping, but dodgeball, I got picked last. I don't know why. Tug of war, picked first. Uh, but it's not, it's not fun being last in line. Have you ever been last at Guy Obito's to pay the bill? And all of a sudden you got like three cheese dips and a side of guacamole that you didn't pay for and all your friends are driving away? Yeah, yeah, don't be last in that line. But what is Jesus talking about? What is he getting at? First must be last, last will be first. What does that even mean? How can you be first and last? Or how can you be last and first? It's like this weird paradox. I'm wondering, is this one of those competitions where everyone comes out a winner, right? Everyone gets a trophy day, those participation trophies, you know what I'm talking about? Or maybe it's like erecting statues and monuments for the losing team. Uh, too soon, too soon. Uh-huh. <clears throat> we'll come back to those later. <clears throat> Jesus looks at this guy and says, and some of you will get that in a second. Jesus looks at this guy and says, if you want to follow me, see all that you have, sell it. Give it to the poor. The first must be last. The first on earth will be last in the kingdom. The last on earth will be first in the kingdom. On earth, this guy had everything. Power, position, privilege, money, servants, land, home, chariots. Chances are he was probably not Jewish, but a Roman citizen, lighter skin. And so this guy was definitely in first place on earth. And Jesus says, you know what? Well, those things, they don't matter in the kingdom. The kingdom that I'm bringing. And the guy says, well, if I have to give up those things, if I have to give them away, I'm out. I can't. I won't. I don't want to give up those things. I, I, want to, I don't want to let go of my power or my position in society. I don't want my privilege of uh, being a non-Jew. I don't want to let that go. Because when you're on top, when you think you have supremacy, it's hard to not let that go. It's hard to, to give that away. When you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. That's not fair, Jesus. I have rights. I earned this. Why do I need to give it away? And I have a hard time, and I'm guilty of it, but understanding why we as Christians demand our rights when the one who we are following gave up all his rights and died on a cross. Now, the book of Matthew is written as a story. And it should be read as that. And slowly we've been reading the story together. But it's important that when parts of the story need clarification, that we rewind it or we fast forward into the story. And that's a cassette reference for our millennials. I asked my kids to rewind it. They're like, what? You mean click back? Yes, click back. Rewind it. So get the pencil out and rewind it. So I want to jump to the next chapter in the story, chapter 20. It's not going to be on your screen. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. But I'm going to read it for you. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. And he tells them for the third time, I think, in the story, what's about to happen. That he's about to be arrested and, and crucified. And in verse 20 and 20, he says this. It was about that time when the mother of the Zebedee brothers came with her two sons and knelt before Jesus with a request. What do you want, Jesus asked. So that you get this vision. This is John and James coming with their mom, mommy. On her knees begging, give your word that these two sons of mine will be awarded the highest places of honor in your kingdom. One at your right hand, one at your left. This is what she's thinking. If I can get my boys close to that power, they too might have power. Right? I mean, we all believe that proximity to power gives us power. 
the closer I get to the man, the more authority that I'll have. We're hanging out in the kingdom one day. Someone comes with a need. Jesus is not around. Who are they going to look for? James and John, right? We're the next in line. Verse 22, Jesus responded, you have no idea what you're asking. And he said to James and John, are you capable of drinking the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said, sure, why not, right? Jesus said, come to think of it. You are going to drink my cup. But as to awarding places of honor, that's not my business. My father is taking care of that. Jesus refers, he, can, he sees further than these guys do. He refers to the fact that both James and John will suffer. In fact, James is the first disciple to be killed by the sword. Uh, King Herod has him sliced. And then John is exiled to an island. And so he's the only one of the original 12 that, that doesn't die violently. Verse 24, when the 10 others heard about this, they lost their tempers, thoroughly disgusted with the two brothers. And so Jesus got them together and settled things down. He said, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, how quickly a little power goes to their head. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. This is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not be served. And then to give away his life in exchange for the many who are held hostage. Jesus says to his closest followers and friends, you want power? You want to be powerful? Then be willing to be last. If you want to be great, serve others. See, I'm the son of God and I came to serve, not be served. The greatest iconic symbol of Christianity might, might not be the cross, but the towel and the basin, the symbols of a servant. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. And here's the deal. This is, let me tell you what this means for us this week. And then I want to switch gears. This week you will be confronted and you will face the opportunity to serve someone, to put somebody else first. Maybe with your time, maybe with your money. It may mean you save energy to spend with your family. The only way I know that the last can be first is by serving others. It's why we often ask you to volunteer in our, in our Grove Kids program. The need is great. We have empty spots. Some people are giving up being in here multiple Sundays a month so that you and your family and moms and dads can enjoy this time. That's why we ask people to come early and help set up the coffee bar or stay late and wash dishes. Or we ask people to run sound so that you may enjoy the worship or greet people at the door so that they feel welcomed here. Every week we take time to give you an opportunity to give financially because that is important. The giving tree in the back, if you aren't familiar with it, we're trying to raise $30,000 to update our heating and air, rebuild our kids program and playground and purchase some needs for, for the kids and teen programs. Well, we've raised half already. $15,000 has come in in the last month. That's great. But we need now to finish strong. God wants our first so that we can be last. He wants you to see others first. But the question is, is, is that what you give God, your first? When you pray, do you pray for others first or yourself, your wants, your needs, your feelings, your concerns? When you pay, is it for you or for others? Do you take what God has given you and give back to him? Lots of people are making money this weekend off the eclipse. 
Hopefully they take time to thank the creator of the moon and sun for that, right? When you post on Facebook, on your message boards, are you thinking about others first? How will this sound to someone else when I hit send? And lastly, and this is where I'm going to shift gears. If I were not a white American male, what would it sound like and feel like if those who claim to follow Jesus Christ remain silent in the wake of what went on last weekend and continue throughout this last week? What would your post or your mems or your silence look and sound like to a person of color? I like what conservative pastor and author Tim Keller said this week when he was asked, how should the Christian church respond to the events of last weekend? He said, Christians should look at the energized and emboldened nationalism movement and its fascist slogans and condemn it full stop. Second, we must present the Bible's strong and clear teaching about the sin of racism and the idolatry of blood and country. Full stop. From Genesis, when all people were created in God's image, to God condemning Jonah, the racist prophet, for putting the nation of Israel before others, to racial barriers being shattered in the book of Galatians, to Paul rebuking Peter for trying to exclude others from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says the evil of racism is a biblical theme It is a sin that the gospel reveals and heals. And the last thing he says is that the church must not just teach on racism in moments like this, but routinely. That this must be a conversation in all of our circles. That we must speak out against this. That we can't choose to just move on and talk about something else. The great-great-grandson of Robert E. Lee You may be familiar with that name. Another conservative pastor he is said to his church this Sunday, this is a God who calls us not to silence, but to redemption. That God is watching. And if you don't see the oppression, if somehow you've missed it on the nightly news, you only have yourself to blame because our God is never blind to the suffering of people and we can't be either. Some of you are so wrapped up in the solar eclipse that you've missed What is happening in our country right now? What happened last week in Charlottesville? What is set to happen in other cities very soon? So Robert E. Lee's grandson goes on to say, God has no feet or mouth but ours. And if you are silent in a moment like this, if you do not condemn the racism you see with whatever channels and avenues you have, you can leave church now because you're doing church wrong. Now remember Robert E. Lee His great-grandson said that. So if that upsets you, an appropriate response would be for you to take down one of his statues, I guess, right? No? All right. Female pastor, church leader, Nadia Boltz-Weber, after visiting Australia, noticed a custom that they had when they got together as a group, that someone in the group would would open the, the meeting up by acknowledging that the meeting was being held on the traditional land of a certain group or tribe. And this is what she said. When I first encountered this, I, I thought it was amazing and maybe something just the women's group I was about to address had decided to do. 
But when I spoke to some Australians afterwards, I learned that no, this was a common practice in Australia. And I told them that literally I could not imagine this happening with any regularity in America. Well, they asked why. And after a moment of thought, I said, because our country started out differently. You're like, you know how the joke goes. You know why Americans got the Puritans and the Australians got the convicts? Because Australia had first pick. In other words, the difference is that our country started with the doctrine of manifest destiny and the doctrine of discovery and the belief that slavery was God's will. In other words, this country that I love and which has given me as a white Christian so much protection and opportunity and education and wealth was able to do so because of the belief that God has ordained Christian white people to claim as our own any land we so-called discovered. If native people were brown and not Christian, we're already here for thousands of years when Christian white people arrived. God wanted the white Christians to own that land. And this country I love, and which has given me as a white Christian so much protection and opportunity and education and wealth, was also able to do so because of that belief that God had ordained Christian white people to sail to the shores of other countries and steal black human bodies. That belief that slavery was not a sin and was not only morally reprehensible, it was taught as a Christian idea. That slave masters quoted scripture to their slaves to prove to them that the institution of slavery was the will of God. So why is it possible for Australians, she says, to acknowledge whose land they are on, to give honor to the elders of the land past and present? Because while they have their own problematic history and about immigration and race relations, their country was not established with Christians' doctrines of white supremacy. And so... Our question, what is white supremacy? Someone in this, in this community here at the Grove told a story of being pulled over one day by an officer. The police officer came to the car and asked for the license and registration. And they told the officer, well, I want you to know that we have a gun. And he said, that's cool. Just, just put it on the dashboard while I run your tags. And then you watch a video of a black man driving with his girlfriend and their four-year-old daughter. Gets pulled over. And after being asked by an officer to take out his license, the man says, I have a permit an illegal firearm in the car. And as he reaches for his license that he was told to pull out, the officer fires seven shots into the car, killing that man for being black while driving. That's white supremacy. When you can gather up a large number of men carrying more firepower firepower than the local police, wearing riot gear, uh, carrying clubs, when those men can physically try to push through a police line and not have one officer shoot a gun, turn on a hose, swing his baton, or spray pepper, and then have a group of unarmed, nonviolent Native Americans protest the government's drilling pipelines through their land, have fire hoses, tear gas, rubber bullets unloaded on them. That's white supremacy. When a black person can't even say that their life matters without white people being offended because white lives have always mattered. Because when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. And that's white supremacy. Weber goes on to say that this is white supremacy and I condemn it. 
And yet I have been benefited from it every day of my life in ways the society tries to keep hidden from me so that I can keep believing that I deserve the life I have. And so does everyone else, good or bad. This is white supremacy. And I have benefited from it every day of my life, even though I smile at black folks, even though I've never worn a squashica, even though I've never marched holding a tiki torch, even though I never owned slaves, and even though my parents taught me that everyone is equal in the eyes of God, Not only that, but the roots of white supremacy took hold in this country through the misuse of the Bible and in the name of the religion that I am a representative of. What do I do with that? She says, well, how do I fight against something I hate and yet has loved me back my whole life? Because let's be honest, white guilt does nothing. White guilt makes us look for exoneration. White guilt leads to changes of only the optics in which people of color are the object and not the subject once again. White guilt leads me to trying to figure out how to relieve my white guilt. And once again, it's all about me. So let white guilt go. It doesn't work. And yet I believe that it is the will of God that as the prophet Amos wrote, that justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream. And I believe that Jesus desires his name to be associated only with love and mercy and justice and kindness. And I believe the Lord has sent us out in these waters. And lastly, another leader in our faith said this. All of us, especially people of faith, need to proclaim that white supremacy and white privilege and all other forms of racism and injustice must indeed be replaced with something better the beloved community, where all are welcome, all are safe, all are free. White supremacist and Nazi dreams of apartheid must be replaced with a better dream. People of all tribes and races and creeds and nations learning to live in peace and mutual respect and neighborliness. Such a better world is possible, but only if we set our hearts on realizing the possibility that we Christians in particular need to face the degree of which white Christianity has failed grievously, tragically, unarguably failed to teach its whites' adherents to love their non-white neighbors as themselves. Congregations of all denominations need to make this an urgent priority to acknowledge the decree to which white American Christianity has been a chaplaincy to white supremacy for centuries and in that way has betrayed the gospel. Our Christian leaders need to face the deep roots of white Christian supremacy that go back to 1452, the doctrine of discovery, before that to the tragic deals made by the 4th century bishops and Empire Constantine, and before that to the rise of Christian antisemitism mere decades after Jesus. The 10th season of our history needs to be quite literally a come-to-Jesus moment for Christianity in America. Let me invite the band on stage. I don't know what you're thinking now. I I preface it. Uh, I hope you're uncomfortable. The band is going to sing a song. We've played it a few times in the past. It's called Us For Them. Here are the lyrics. It says, when the lines are drawn, when you're in or out, when it's us or them, we shame the doubt. It is all a lie. All we ever really need is love. There's no need to shed more blood. Look upon the cross. See the face of Christ. See the mercy in his eyes. Every valley shall be lifted high. 
Now our enemies are blessed. They, the heavy laden rests for his judgment is love. There's no more guilt. There's no more shame. All our darkest sin, all our deepest pain. Blessed are the poor. All the lonely, broken, lost, and torn. See a kingdom come to us, a war that's fought with love. Our only war is love. Prepare the way of the Lord, wielding mercy like a sword. Every mountaintop will be made low. Know that he holds the earth like dust, and his judgment comes to us, and his judgment is love. We will not fight their wars. We will not fall in line. We reject the either or. They can't define us anymore. Because if it's us or them, it's us for them. It's us for them. As the band plays this song, I want you to take a moment. I want you to humble yourself before the God of the universe. And I want you to have him, ask him to seek your heart. And if there are things you need to repent of, then you need to repent. Things you've said or done or thought, or maybe it's the things you haven't said, that your silence may be sin. Our church needs to be a place for them. Jesus came to serve others, to love others, and to show us how. It was a necessary incarnation of a body to be physically present with the other. Because when it's us or them, it's us for them. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Put others first. Be willing to be last. To become aware of privilege. And then let it go. Listen to these words.
you to stand with me. I'm going to close us with a prayer and the band's going to lead us in one more song together. If you wouldn't mind closing your eyes, if you want to agree with me in your heart, listen to these words. May God bless you with a restless discomfort about easy answers, half truths and superficial relationships so that you may seek truth boldly and love deeply within your heart. May God bless you with a holy anger towards injustice oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may tirelessly work for justice, freedom, and peace among all people. May God bless you with the gift of tears to shed with those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all that they cherish so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their joy, their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can really make a difference in this world so that you are able, with God's grace, to do what others claim cannot be done. As we sing, as we go out together, may we be a community that's beloved, that understands that we all made it through the same way, through the cross and the grace of a loving God. We may continue to lay down ourselves first so that we may be last. We can serve the least of these, so that they may be first. God, thank you. Challenge us, move us, push us to be those people. Let's sing together.